Today's episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after these messages. Hey everyone, you're invited to Harpy Hour! I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. We are the Harpies. And Harpy Hour is our new podcast featuring ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Were you ever suspicious that pigeons were secretly spying on you? How do you know who to eat first if you survive a shipwreck? Do problematic musicals send you into an uncontrollable rage? If so, then Harpy Hour might be your new favorite podcast. That's H-A-R-P-Y for Harpy, and new episodes air every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on all social media at Harpy Hour Pod. And check us out on harpyhourpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I have the only gun on board. Welcome to Con Air, and welcome to that song from that movie. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Where are you? Thank you for joining that song from that movie. <laughs> the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your ugly old day host, Dietrich, and we're joined by the man who has the whole world in his hands, Alex. Yep. <laughs> it, is, it makes, yeah, it's, it's difficult to get by in regular life with the whole world in hands, but I try my best. I think you do a good job of it. Yeah, it's very difficult, like, getting into, like, lifts and things like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm, every day is a struggle, but I'm, 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 you know, I'm trying. And we're also joined by the one who has done it all, kidnapping, robbery, murder, extortion. Ben. Just a usual Saturday. But it's Sunday. Well, it's, I'm not, it's my rest day. It's what God <laughs> intended. That's your version of seven days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very different version of that song. So how are we all today? Yeah, very good. Good, yeah. I actually was expecting you to say something about the weather. <laughs> I, think, I think we're officially past that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. In, in the same way that we don't do the beep, 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 beep for the news anymore. Do we not? I know, I've realised. Gosh, yeah, no. Gosh, we're, we're aging up, moving on, past is new. I think the weather thing is going to be one of those things where I've hated it every time you ask, and now that it's gone, I'm going to realise it was the only like creamy centre <laughs> that filled this donut of my life. <laughs> Do you want me to ask you about the weather, Ben? No, no we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Okay. Have you watched any films recently? I watched Tenet, as I have discussed with you, and we share the views for that film, which is what most of the general audience seems to think online. I believe in the previous podcast I described it as thumbs up in reverse. Yeah, that's not a bad review. Uh, so does that mean that you didn't like it? Well, that you... <laughs> that, that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. Okay. I have I have read some reviews. But... My ears hurt. That was what all I said. I thought it was because I hadn't been to the cinema really in a long time, but no. I mentioned that it was like the, one of the loudest cinema experiences and I thought it was because that's, that screening was particularly loud, but it seems to be everybody around the world is having the same issue of like not being able to hear what's going on. Yeah, because I mean, this obviously, I've not seen the film, but from what I've read, there seems to be some sort of sound issues with the dialogue that you can't hear everything that's been said. Is that is that true? I mean, that doesn't affect anyone's like view of the film, does it really? Everything is in terms of like spoilers. Yes, anything. it is true. Right. It's definitely true. I don't understand how such a huge film from such an accomplished director who has more or less made quite smart blockbusters that have done very well critically can mess up something as obviously necessary as sound editing. 
I know you obviously as a director or a producer don't have, you know, you have to have your finger in every pie meticulously. But still, you just think in the like the rewatch of it, they must have watched it in a cinema and gone, hmm, wait, I think we need to tweak this. And that's all we can say on Tenant for now. It's, don't an, want to it's an Andrew Lau, 8 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode is How Do I Live? from one of the greatest movies ever made, Con Air. <laughs> so to find out what was happening in the world outside of just everybody being excited for Con Air, over to you, Alex. Yeah, so the month was June and the year was 97, 1997, not 19, not 1897, 1997, which is interesting, actually, because I think that this might be, it's at least the third time that we've landed in this year during this podcast. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, when you said that, I was like, oh, crap, have we done June? <laughs> have we done June? I don't think we have, because I think no. we did july i think i've just done july haven't i men in black was july i think oh yeah i think titanic was january was like earlier in the year possibly strong year i can't think of any other ones that we've done that were 97 but i was thinking armageddon was around the same time no i think and we didn't i think mulan was 98 was it was it yeah i think armageddon might have been 98 as well it seems like it really paints a picture of our age here doesn't it busy time (laughs) for movie songs so so like some of these facts i was like i feel like maybe we've touched on these before but Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was published in this month. It was. Ooh. <laughs> I'm trying to think, have we had that one before? I think we might yeah. have had the Chamber of Secrets. I think, was, we, yeah. think Chamber of Secrets came up at some point. Yeah. But yeah. this is the yeah. first one. So for for US listeners, <laughs> that would be the Sorcerer's Stone for some Why is that? Reason. Why is that? I think it's because they didn't they didn't understand what they meant. What she meant by Philosopher's Stone. I don't know. Wasn't no, I thought it was that the word philosopher wasn't in the American English language. What? But surely it means. What do they call someone who does like, philosophy? <laughs> yeah, what is like like something like Aristotle or Socrates? <laughs> Socrates. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm British. <laughs> yeah, well, Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone. So that was released June 1997. So this is interesting. So the modern reconstruction of the Globe Theatre opened 750 feet from the original theatre, which had burned down 384 years earlier. Have you been? Uh, I've well, I've seen it from the outside, but I've not seen the show there because yeah. it's quite close to the uh, Tate okay. Gallery. Oh, it's on sort of yeah. on the banks. <laughs> Middle class day out for Alex. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I've not been to see a show there. But do you guys know how the original theatre burned down? Um, was it during a performance? <laughs> it was. It was during performance. A theatrical cannon set off during the performance misfired, igniting the wooden beams and thatching. And according to one of the few surviving documents of the event. No one was hurt except a man whose burning breeches were put out with a bottle of ale. <laughs> the good old days. I, I liked when the yeah, props were just real. When they say stage cannon, it sounds like it was an actual cannon. <laughs> just a cannon. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the stage. Stage cannon. Yeah, well, things things going wrong during uh, production will lead us nicely onto the film in a second. But uh, yeah, because uh, there's, some, there's some interesting stories about the film that we're focusing on today. But a couple of other films that came out in this month, which further sort of represent how good of a year for films this was. Disney's Hercules. Great. Batman and Robin. Great. And everyone's yep. favourite sequel, Speed 2, Cruise Control. <laughs> everyone's favourite sequel. Always makes it up onto that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and June, so to, on a, to give this uh, news a bit of a musical slant, was dominated by one single. Someone really important died this year, and uh, there was a song about it. Do you guys guess who that was? Is it George Michael? No. It was surely Diana. Nope, that wasn't. That's what I mean, though. I thought Diana died, but George Michael singing Candle in the Window, whatever it was. Elton John sang no, it. No, it was Elton John. Come on, man. Oh, was it Elton John? I thought it was George Michael sang something. 
Uh, no. <laughs> just simply no. <laughs> it might have done. It might have done. It just might have had something. <laughs> Somebody famous died in 97. Yeah. And it wasn't Princess Diana. Exactly. Yeah. So Diana died in August. So actually Candle in the Wind, I like one of the highest selling singles of the year, but it was later on in the year. No, it was actually the song I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy and Faith. Ah, uh, Biggie. Oh. Because of the death of Biggie Smalls. So that was number one for most of the month in the UK. But the end of the month was replaced by Umbop. But we did cover that in the Minute Black episode. I'm sure. Oh yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was the news. So let's go on to the film, which is of course, as we've briefly mentioned, Con Air. Before I get your guys' opinions of the film, although Dee's kind of already put his stake in the floor. <laughs> Here's a quick synopsis. That'd be a bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. So it's produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who of course is quite a uh, big name in the production world. So I've got a list of some yeah. of his films. Top Gun, Armageddon, Enemy of the State. Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, Bad Boys. I feel I feel like he, he can really be put in a box as a producer in terms of the films oh, yeah. that he's made. But this one I enjoy more. So this is director. So it was directed by Simon West and it was his first film. So it was a directorial debut. But he also directed Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, <laughs> Expendables 2, and probably his greatest accolade, the music video for Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Oh, wow, that is a claim. Nice. Internet stardom. Well, exactly, yeah. Unless that was just put in on the Wikipedia page as a as a Rickroll. <laughs> I don't know, it could have been. But I, further research did back that up, so take it as fact, as gospel. So Connor follows recently paroled former army ranger Poe as he attempts to foil an escape plot devised by other inmates who are dubbed the worst of the worst <laughs> aboard a prison transportation aircraft. And he just wants to get home safely, damn it, to his wife and daughter. The film has an all-star cast including Nick Cage, John Malkovich, John Cusack, Steve Buscemi, Bing Rames, Dave Chappelle, Danny Trejo, and so on and so forth. There's like a thousand people in this film. All men. <laughs> yeah. It's a big plane. It's a big plane. <laughs> it's a big plane. So yeah, what do you think? Is it the greatest action movie of all time? Is it the most over-the-top action movie ever made, as Time Out suggested in its review? Mm. I think it is neither. <laughs> But, like I say, I think it's indicative of those 90s action films that, funnily, I don't know if it's just over time, but there's a lot of this type of action movie that was in the 90s, like, I know, Face Off, The Last Boy Scout, Point Break, over-the-top action films, Demolition Man, Judge Dredd, things like this. (laughs) The Rock. Jerry Bruckheimer's the film that he made just before. The Rock, yeah, yeah. Fugitive, Air Force One, Speed, all these sort of films. Speed 2 Cruise Control. (laughs) Which is that it might be the best sort of post colon name. They were like just really, you know, full throttle action films that were quite loved now or found some sort of cult status, but they're quite well liked. Whereas I feel like action films nowadays just don't do very well. They might do box office okay, but critics don't really like them. And usually the public don't really seem that enamoured by them. And I feel like Con Air is just one of those films that I look back and go, God, these action films were great in the 90s. They just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Maybe they just didn't hold back, embraced the silliness. But I always, I think Face Off, it personally is my favourite, I guess, of that type. Just because I think Nick Cage has to be involved for me to to be that really over the top. And he is best in Face Off. D? Well, obviously, I alluded jokingly at the beginning of the episode that it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Maybe It maybe isn't maybe the greatest movie ever made, but it's certainly in the top two. <laughs> After what? Go on. You're going to have to say it now. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. That was just a joke. I didn't have anything prepped. <laughs> because it is actually number one. Independent no. Day? <laughs> Back to the Future Part 2. 
<laughs> no, I think Con Air is it's so it's so infectiously fun that you can't help but love it. It knows what it is. It definitely it does. doesn't try to be. Well, I say it does try to be over the top, but in a tongue-in-cheek, touching-nose type way. It's full of quotable lines. It's just fully aware of its own stupidity mm-hmm. and decides that's the way we're going to go with this. Do you think as well, like, part of the main charm of it is that it has, like, such a big cast, but they kind of really commit, even though it's sort of like a B-movie script. <laughs> they sort of, like, fully embrace the idea of the film and just, like, go a whole hog for it, which I think maybe sometimes, maybe, like, at the moment, people don't do that in action films, and that's kind of why this one is so, like good it's like the best example of this type of film that i can think of yeah it's as if all the actors were in on it like they all got it straight away like all singing from the same hymn sheet oh yeah whereas the only modern day equivalent i could think of is suicide squad where you can sort of feel that there's different films being filmed at the same time by different actors (laughs) i think also it just feels like there's different films being filmed by everyone involved in that but in con air it feels like everybody's going we're making Connor, and this is going to be Connor. Yeah, that's the thing. I think in the 90s, this is what was expected. People liked this type, and they kept doing it. Whereas I think now, I don't know at what point it just dissipated. Maybe people wanted more realism. Maybe people couldn't suspend belief for as long anymore. Or maybe just because Nick Cage started to run out of suitable roles. Who knows? <laughs> I suppose like the, the modern-day equivalent where it has been a success would be something like Fast and the Furious, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's the closest. Because that's sort of in the same way, isn't it? Like, it has, like... Not quite an all-star cast, but, you know, big names, people with big names like Jason Statham, Vin Diesel, The Rock, and they all yeah. commit fully to it, and I think that's kind of the, the charm of that as well. Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably, you're probably right there. Yeah, definitely. So I've got some I've got some facts about the film. Not so much about the film, but more about the <laughs> aftermath of the film. Well, and the production of it, I suppose. The planes used, so obviously there was many, but the jailbird plane was used for the taxi scenes, so the scenes where it wasn't in the air. You can actually go to see it at the historic Wendover Airfield Foundation in Utah, which is where most of the film was filmed. However, the model used for the flight scenes, and this is where we link back to the beginning, where I spoke about the Globe Theatre. So the model used for the flight scenes was crashed into Mount Healy in Alaska, killing a three-member crew. Really? Wow. Yep. And the deaths related to this film do not end there. Oh dear. So during the production of the film, a welder named Phil Schwartz who was employed by Special Effects Unlimited, was crushed to death when the static model of the plane fell on him. Oh my days, someone did not want this film to be made. It's just a, the sound of that is just horrific. He does yeah. actually get credited in the end, so in, in there's an in-memory at the end of the film in the credits. Yeah, oh good, man. Some other interesting facts about the film, to move away from the death. So the <laughs> hotel at the end of the film the plane crashes into they, was a genuine hotel and it did genuinely destroy the hotel. <laughs> was it supposed to be destroyed? It was. It was supposed to be demolished, but they asked to put it back a couple of weeks so they could use it for the scene. Great. Right. Yeah. It's very Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. It, this feels like the most Michael Bay film going, except it's good, which obviously is what makes it. Well, know, Michael, Michael Bay, I suppose. I mean, what he made The Rock. Was it 96, The Rock, or is it earlier? It, it was the year before. It was, year it before, was yeah. yeah. So, I mean, The Rock is great. The, well, the quote, you know, like I said from Time Out, where they said it was the most over-the-top action movie ever made. The, the full quote was, it's the, the most over-the-top action movie ever made since The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the last year. <laughs> and we've topped it again. So, originally, they weren't going to use Las Vegas as the site of the final crash. They were going to use the White House. Oh, my. Ooh. It certainly wouldn't be something they could use a few, like, five or so years down the line after 9-11, when they were going to crash the White is, House. Is, a, is Independence yeah. Day 97? Because the White House blows up, obviously, in that. I wonder if it was, uh, would so have been a bad year for, uh, for, the, if, for um, the president. The White House, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they decided not to go that way because they felt that the idea of the convicts cashing in, according to Jerry Bruckheimer, worked well with Vegas rather than the White House. I don't exactly know what he meant by that, but the film did win one award. It, it was nominated for two Oscars, which we'll come on to later on, but the film <laughs> did win one award. It was the Golden Razzie for Most Reckless Disregard for Human Life and Public Property. I feel like that must award must have been created for this film. It was a one-off, yeah, I remember that. It was a one-off. Yeah. I think they do those sort of stupid one-off films. It sounds like a genuine compliment, this award. I feel like it, for, yeah. for the Razzies, it's not like a criticism. That's a genuine compliment. <laughs> the film with the most reckless disregard for human life. But actually, that has a bit of a dark undertone, I suppose, doesn't know if you consider it. Oh, well, yeah, it depends if they had that in mind when they <laughs> yeah. gave out the award. Yeah, they did. The next thing I want to talk about in terms of the film is the poster. He does one of the things that I hate, where they don't have the names with the face. Yes, this is exactly what I've read about I hate it. Why, put... why is it so hard? They do it all the time. It really is. It's to do with the Actors Guild, isn't it? What, what is it, dear? What's the, the rule? I think the idea is it's to stop one actor getting all of the attention. Yeah. And Much it... like the Tower Inferno. That's where it first started. That the is tower, a tri- that Tower is trivia. Inferno. That is a great, that is some piece, great of piece of trivia. That is. Because there's so many actors in that film, they were, it was the way to get around the fact that one person would get higher billing than somebody else if they were on the right order. Yeah, I kind of get it in principle, but I think it does look really stupid. And the other thing that annoys me with the names is how, because of how long John Malkovich's name is, they're not centre aligned either. So the names aren't even above someone's head, so it just looks all wrong. But uh, another thing I wanted to mention about the film was the tagline. They were deadly on the ground. Now they have wings. <laughs> and that's coupled Great. up with buckle up Great, <laughs> <laughs> even more another thing that I came across is that people were saying that the character in Star Wars Poe Dameron is named after Cameron Poe from this film and I think like when you see the names next to each other that can't really be denied I've never thought that I mean that again that's a good bit of trivia if that is that just sort of rumours on the internet or has this come out yeah I do, it's not been I, do, I couldn't see it yeah. where it been confirmed but it does seem to make sense though looking at the two names next to each other maybe JJ Abrams was a big con fan I mean that wouldn't surprise me there's only so many names <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know whether, though, Ben, this might be stepping on your toes in terms of the top five later on, but I oh, wondered God. whether this was the best, Nicolas Cage's film had the best on-screen mullet. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not stepping on my toes, so continue. My top five is a lot more, <laughs> is a lot more d- disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you to discuss, can you think of a better on-screen mullet? Because I think this is pretty fantastic. Does Nicolas Cage have a mullet in Raising Arizona? Uh, no, I think he just has short hair, doesn't he? Like it's all. I can't remember, up. honestly. The ginger kid from Terminator Two had a pretty good mullet. <laughs> <laughs> the ginger well, kid, yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. I was thinking more Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, oh, that's a good show. Yes, no, that is a great one. I'm trying to think though; it's really hard. David Bowie, David Bowie in Labyrinth. Yeah, is that a yeah, mullet? Yeah, I, I, I was considering whether that was a mullet or not. I'm gonna say, what about um, Obi Wan Kenobi in the prequels? Is that a mullet? Oh That's yeah, weird. like in in the second and third one. I guess, I guess I like is is it, is it business in the front and pie in the back? That's the topic. And I'd say <laughs> with, with his, it probably is that. Yeah, so I would count it. The mullet should have died by the point this film came out. That's also important to know. Kiefer Sutherland, Lost Boys. That's a decent mullet. Yeah. Another one I saw a lot was Dolph Lundgren in Masters of the Universe, but I felt that that was very on the lines with yeah, the like, Labyrinth. So yeah. I wasn't sure. Just food for thought next time you see That would have been a better top five, Alex. Mine's, mine, <laughs> mine is pale, pale in comparison to that. <laughs> well, we've got to, we've got that there as well. And the last thing, this is the last thing about the film. So 
Simon West director was asked about a potential sequel in 2014. He suggested that a sequel would have to be something shocking, like Con Air, but in space. <laughs> Con Noah. Con nice, Noah. Nice. Brilliant. I like Brilliant. that. And he said where they're all robots or reanimated super convicts. Reanimated super convicts. <laughs> I felt like at first Con Air in space, like, oh, he's just having a joke there. But then it shows that maybe he has thought about it. <laughs> I thought, yeah. <laughs> he's watching all these sort of high, convoluted out of space films and he's just thinking, but what if John Malkovich. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, should we talk about the song? Yes. Yes. Or songs. Yes, dun, dun, dun. So How Do I Live is the song from Con Air. <laughs> you were just asking that, Alex. <laughs> so, How Do I Live? How do I live? Yeah, I feel like it's too big a question to answer in this 40-minute uh, podcast. So, uh, <laughs> wait it's going to be more than 40 minutes of this, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, it's Con Air. It had to really, didn't it? So the reason why I said songs, plural, is because this is a tale of two ditties. <laughs> it was the Trisha Yearwood of times. It was the Leanne Rhymes of times. And that's as far as I'm going to stretch that. So, um, <laughs> the film recording of the song was by Trisha Yearwood, whereas probably the most famous version of the song was by Leanne Rhymes. But we'll discuss the two versions in a second, but what do you guys think of the song? I had no idea there was two versions of this song until yesterday. I would say both are very epically over-the-top, very in keeping with Conair. Mm, if you had to push me, I am. the Leanne Rhymes one has a better vocal performance. Ooh. However, I can't get over the fact that the one in the movie, it has the superior saxophone solo. It does, doesn't it? It's just unmatched. <laughs> in music, not just in the film. Just just musically, it's unmatched, unrivaled. Ben? I probably prefer the Leanne Rhymes version as well. I was exactly the same. I didn't realise there was two versions until just the other day. When I think, or when the, the song comes to me in my head, it is the Leanne Rhymes. I remember that sort of very saturated music video like i think it's you know you might go and talk about it but it's kind of just obscuring her age probably which is very <laughs> disgusting in many ways yeah i don't know maybe because afterwards i listened to the trisha yearwood one it just felt a bit uh wedding singery yeah yes i got a very pub singer vibe from it yeah it did sound like that didn't it the turn at the club <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that actually because the caravan club this was a bit of a caravan club <laughs> of course it was of the leanne rhymes version obviously trisha yearwood was probably there <laughs> She might have been doing the circuit, yeah. Down at Phoenix Nights, yeah. No one realised. It's very magic, FM. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of the song. So it was written by songwriting extraordinaire. She's come up before. Dee said she was going to have her own jingle. We'll wait and see if he actually manages to materialise that. Diane Warren. Diane Warren. Yeah. The legend. <laughs> the legend. That is Diane Warren. The woman, the myth. But interestingly, I looked at this, and this uh, we are pushing forward a bit, but Diane Warren has never actually won an Oscar, but she's been nominated several times. So none of her songs have ever won. Travesty. Travesty. I feel like it's a travesty when you, when you look at them. So yeah, so we move on. So the song was originally written by Warren for Rhymes. So Rhymes was the initial person she had in mind, and she'd just been announced as the best new artist at the 97 Grammys. So Rhymes recorded the song, but Disney, who owned Touchstone, felt the recording had too much of a pop sound, and in a weird conscience of character for them, decided she was too young to be singing about the song subject matter. I mean, I, I must say, like, you do wonder. <laughs> there is a, there's an element of how much life um, experience you have when you're of that age singing about such deep things. Yeah, well, she, I should point out as well, she was 14 at the time, so she was very, she was quite young. 
with the first criticism by Disney was it that it was too poppy? Leanne Rhymes' version was too poppy. Yeah. Is it is it that different? Other than when she's throwing the saxophone. I feel like it's maybe the the tone of voice is a bit maybe it's, yeah because maybe. it's like a higher you know because she's younger I think maybe that was it I think it is a bit poppier when you listen to it they are very similar I think that's one thing we should point mm. out there's not much difference between the two but yeah other than the sax solo I mean to like. be fair it's still flipping chalk and cheese that it's in this film <laughs> <laughs> is it just doesn't make sense yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it was like, I don't know if it's the same, but when we talked about I Don't Want to Miss a Thing that Diane Warren also did for Armageddon, they said it was to try and pull in the female audience to these very, what they would assume to be male-drawn films. I didn't I didn't actually find out why. I couldn't see anywhere as if, like, you know, if there was a specific reason this type of song was chosen. Only that she wrote it and submitted it for the film and they, they went for it. It's a big, like, powerful ballad. Yes, <laughs> it is. But it does, it yeah, does feel fine. odd in the film, in a way. But then actually in the scenes that it's in, it sort of does kind of work, mm. <laughs> weirdly. But yeah, so Trisha Yearwood was chosen to re-record the song because she was asked to give it more of a throaty country vibe. I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, know exactly why that would be something. I suppose the throatiness might, because the original version was too young and adolescent and poppy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want it a bit more serious. Country vibe, maybe because like he's the character is is like a sort of has like a southern draw, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's one of the terrible. It's a terrible accent. Well, it was actually Nicolas Cage's decision to give him the accent. That's of course, it was. was. Yeah, of course, it was. <laughs> I think he said something about it being like Southerners were more chivalrous. That was what that was the term. <laughs> really? Yeah. So like it made more sense to want to like get home to his family. I could have sworn Leanne Rhymes was like country darling. Yeah. Well, the the two songs, the two versions of the songs, were actually number one and number two on the country chart at the same time. <laughs> A lot of variation in country music then. Because <laughs> they're also chivalrous. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? We put her at number one. We're not gonna. We're not gonna sway. We're gonna listen to the other one just as much. That's what a gentleman would do. So Yearwood wasn't aware that Rhymes had recorded a version. It was actually Diane Warren who convinced Rhymes' record label to release the version, which is why there are two proper recorded releases of the song. Neither of the songs feature on the soundtrack for Conair. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nice. what? Yeah, not, neither of them feature on there. I, I couldn't find out exactly why, but yes, chart success. So Rhymes' version spent 62 weeks in the US Top 40 and 30 weeks in the UK Top 40. Wow. However, it did not get to number one. Do you know what was number one at the time? Oh, yeah, it was Candle in the Wind. Yeah. Because obviously this was released just after the film, so probably after Diana died. And it sits at number four on the all-time Billboard 100. Wow. Really? That is a, that yeah. is a record, isn't it? Yeah, the film version by Yearwood peaked at number 23, but they pulled the single as they didn't want it to cannibalise album sales. But I feel it was more, they didn't want the album <laughs> embarrassment that it was... <laughs> You know, if you get if you sit you're sitting in like a you know an exec room opposite Yearwood and you're trying to be nice and you say we don't want you to cannibalize, it just it's the, such a terrible like way of delivering news. <laughs> Did you check to see whether or not Trisha Yearwood's album skyrocketed after they pulled it? <laughs> I didn't actually. I should have done that. Shouldn't I? I'm guessing it probably didn't. I bet it got to number one in the country chart there. You sure Liam Rhymes album wasn't there? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I feel like she's married to country royalty as well, and I can't remember the guy's name. Jim Yearwood. <laughs> no, not Jim Yearwood. I'm trying to think who is the most famous male country singer. Tim McGraw. No, <laughs> that's the... Gaff Brooks. Ga- it's Gaff Brooks. Yeah, that's who she married to. There you go. Oh, nailed it. Well, it could have only been one or two. <laughs> I always, I, that's it, because I always get mixed up with the football pundit. And I, I, my instant reaction is, what an, in- what an interesting marriage. <laughs> Gaff Crooks and Trisha Yearwood. <laughs> she did one of the football focus uh, guesses, you know, for Saturday. Uh, <laughs> 
Right, so at the 98, so the 90, we've talked about the 97 Grammys where Leanne Rimes was named Best Newcomer. At the 98 Grammys, for the first time in history, two artists were nominated for the same song in the same category. I think what's really amusing about this is that Rimes performed the song at the ceremony immediately before Trisha Yearwood was given the award. <laughs> <laughs> Yearwood would go and perform to perform the song at the Academy Awards, but as I've previously mentioned, it did not win. But I think we do know what did win that year because we did cover it in an earlier episode. It was My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. Yeah, I had no chance, really. But speaking of the Oscars, and this is actually more related to the film, it was also, so it was nominated for two, it was nominated for Best Original Song, but it was also nominated for Sound, but it also lost to Titanic. But interestingly, the three men who shared the nomination have been nominated a combined 41 times and never wow. won. Wow. And one of the three, Kevin O'Donnell, holds the record for the most Oscar nominations without a win. 20. My word. Is he still, <laughs> do you know if he's still working? Still trying his hardest he, to get that little is. statue? Yeah, I think he must be. Could he fix Tenant? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he was. Maybe he was already <laughs> on it. <laughs> He's lost his touch. Oh, God. So that's kind of all I've got on the song. But we can talk about the scene, you know, the moments in the film that it features. Do you guys yeah, remember please. when that happens? So it's a couple of times, isn't it? Yeah. But most famously is at the end when Cameron meets up with female character who doesn't have a name, I don't think. <laughs> wife. Watch out. Cameron's <laughs> wife. And his child has a name, doesn't he? Yeah, his child doesn't. What I like about that scene is they use the song, but they don't dull it down. While other people are talking, it's like, I suppose, Trisha Yearwood and Nicholas Cage just fighting for who can be heard more. <laughs> Very similar to Tenant, actually, now I'll say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it does come in at quite a, a magical moment, just to paint the picture. They've just destroyed half of Las Vegas with a plane. Cyrus the virus's head has just been crushed. Our hero covered in crimson and presumably other men's innards spies his wife and child across a hectic scene of post-destruction aftermath. He walks over... I've, I've written this down, as you can tell. <laughs> A glint of happiness returning to his crushed soul. And then he says, I got a present for you, Casey. And hands her a blood-soaked, filthy toy bunny rabbit that has been clutching the entire film. And then it hugs all around. There's a knowing smile from John Cusack in the credits roll. And all the while, as Dee said, he's fighting the song, which is just <laughs> blaring, blaring in the background. Full volume. Brings tears to your eyes. It's, it's, it's beautiful, really. It's not just a romantic song. In fact, I think even more so than a romantic song, it seems to be a song of like like missing a loved one. And like loss, and I imagine it's quite a popular, maybe not a funeral song, but it, like I, I remember look, looking through the YouTube comments, and there's a lot of listen to this song to think of my husband, my wife, my kids, my parents. I think the lyrics are quite pertinent to that sort of longing for a lost loved one. It's a theme that sort of comes across in Diamond songs, isn't it? Generally, like the ones I'm thinking of, of "Don't Wanna Miss a Thing" and "There You'll Be" from Pearl Harbor, another Jerry Bruckheimer song. They obviously had a bit of a relationship those two in terms yeah. of films and scores. But the, the, so the rabbit as well that he gives to his child was also a Nicolas Cage introduction. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, apparently. He clearly has a lot of, uh, either he's got a lot of creative control or nobody wants to say no to him. But all his ideas are good. Mm-hmm. I, bet if you, I bet if you Google like, Nicolas Cage ideas, I bet he comes up with some terrible ones. Have you heard about this film that's coming out where he's playing himself? He's playing Nicolas Cage, but like post-career. And, like, he gets invited round to, like, a big fan's birthday or something. It's, like, sort of drama in scenes where he has to relive his former characters. Wow. And it is a genuine film coming out. I don't know what it's called. I think he's added a bit of, not necessarily a renaissance, but he's had a few films come out, sort of, in the last few years that have done, like, quite well in, sort of, certain circles. He just does a lot of films. He is one of those, definitely, quantity over quality. Yeah, because, like, he was in... Uh... 
adaptation, wasn't it? Which was really good. Yeah, and Lord uh, of War is a fantastic film. National Treasure. But then <laughs> National Treasure, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, you go to like Drive Angry, Wicker Man, Season of the Witch, Ghost Rider, <laughs> Gone in Sixty Seconds. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, come on, it's shocking, you know it is. Quite a lot of Nicolas Cage films there. Enough for a top five. Do you have a top five for us, Ben? Well, it's not a top five Nicolas Cage films. That would be too easy. And we've just named them all. Now, you know what, you know what, t- you know what time I actually did this top five? Half past four this morning. That's how committed I am to this podcast. You mean you forgot? Uh, yeah, partly. But I, I was also struggling for ideas. But I came up with a great one. No arguments. It's great. It's definitely great. We have covered a lot there, Alex. And that's all great stuff, you know. Thank you very much. But you, <laughs> you you've missed discussing the best character. And we've not really mentioned him. Who is the best character in Con Air? Cyrus the That's virus. right. Cyrus the virus, yes. <laughs> he's not a real virus. In fact, he's a fictional virus. So I want to know if you can. I'm not even doing a top five. I'm just, can you name five? And I've got a bloody long list. Five fictional movie viruses. Like computer virus or person or illness? Yes, illnesses. Five fictional right. movie illnesses. Avian flu. Avian from, flu? Isn't that from uh, Planet of the Apes? It is not called Avian Flu. But the one from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> the one from Planet of the Apes, I will let you have. Do you know what it's called at all? Ape Flu. <laughs> Ape Flu. They were having a really difficult time in the old creative room that day. <laughs> Ape Flu. What are we going to call this thing? Ape Flu. You know what, Alex? It's not that far away, to be honest. <laughs> is it Monkey Flu? <laughs> it's Simeon Flu. <laughs> oh, that's what I meant. Also known as ALZ113. Yeah, Ape Flu, that's where I got it from. Would you like a clue for some of the... Would you, would you like a clue for some of the best ones that I found? Well, I, I'm thinking the one from Iron Legend, but I can't remember the yes, name of it. That is, that is one of the most famous ones, apparently. They're called the Crippen Virus. What's that film where, like, Eddie Murphy is like a cartoon and he, like, goes into... He, like, yes, Osmosis Jones. Osmosis Jones, yeah. He fights, but it's like, not Eddie Murphy, it's... Um, it's Eddie Murphy. No, it's... Um, Chris Rock? Chris Rock. Oh, is it? Oh, God. Yeah, it's Chris Rock and Bill Murray. Is it Bill Murray? I think they go into Bill Murray's body, is it? I can't remember. It's a stupid film. <laughs> it's called The Red Death. <laughs> the Red Death. I like, I'm glad that it's on the list. Yeah, it's on there. Don't you? I've been meticulous. Yeah, clearly. Do you know the fictional illness in Ace Ventura Pet Detective? Uh, is that the thing that the, do- the, the, the whale has? Or the dolphin? No, apparently there's a fictional illness in it called Say the Opposite of What You Mean Disease. <laughs> A disease which causes the speaker to say the opposite of the correct answer to be questioned posed by another party. Uh, it's something that he just makes up on the spot. <laughs> Clearly, I was thinking too hard about presumably this. Presumably stuff from, like, Shaun of the Dead or, you know... Yeah, but they're not film. given names. I think that's the oh, thing. Oh, the Zed virus from a zombie thingy Zed. <laughs> I don't know, is it called that? <laughs> well, was he? Well, do you know what the, the <laughs> name of the virus is in 28 Days Later? Zombie flu. It's called Rage. Rage. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. McGregor's Syndrome. Do you know what film that's from? I was going to say, is it from Children of Men? No, but that is one. That is one, yes. But it's, it's not really given a name. It's just called the Infertility Epidemic. McGregor no. Syndrome in Batman and Robin. Do you know what that is? Uh, it's something to do with Mr. Freeze. Yes, it's what Mr. <laughs> Freeze's wife has. Which is oh, why he freeze yeah. her. And oh, Alfred yeah. also gets it, which is then Mr. Freeze gives him the antidote because he has stage one. And for some reason, he only has stage one vaccines. <laughs> the McGregor Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> you just put you put syndrome after it, and it seems there's the amount of things in this movie list which are just names and then followed by syndrome. Oh, what about Benjamin Button syndrome? It's not on here. <laughs> <laughs> there's the Carnosaur virus, which apparently from the film Carnosaur, if you remember that well. 
Um, <laughs> whatever the gremlins are. <laughs> it also isn't on here. There's NRS and UBT, which are fictional sexually transmitted diseases from Demolition Man. Another great 90s. <laughs> and the only other one that I have is the Motaba disease from the film Outbreak, which is a great film with Dustin Hoffman. And these are all the lists. I've got lots more, but I'm not going to go through them. Some just terrible, terrible things. Well, I enjoyed it. Need to be more creative. I mean, the space herpes, apparently, in the film Ice Pirates. And also space rabies in the film Howard the Duck. (laughs) There's also about five from... It mentions, for some reason, or I found all the ones from Futurama. Which you shouldn't be able to remember, at least the most famous fictional disease from Futurama. Bonias. Bonias. (laughs) There's also circusitis, which apparently is a disease that affects children of all ages, causing red nose, swollen feet, orange hair, extremely pale face, (laughs) and sneezing handkerchiefs. Were you hit by that, Ben? <laughs> anyway. I'm glad he stayed until half four doing that last bit. I didn't stay up, I woke up in the middle of the night and that's what I thought I'd spend my time With doing. a brainwave. Viruses. <laughs> Let's move on to the ultimate question uh, after Ben's. Does it count as a top five? No, I mean I wrote down five and then I realised I just wanted to share more. So, yes, yeah, the ultimate question. What is better, the movie or the song? Alex, you can go first this week. Oh. Well, that's nasty. Um, Too late. Ben, you go first. Okay, so um, I, I need time to prepare my answer. Alex, go on. <laughs> I am going to choose film because I think that it is the greatest action movie of all. <laughs> so, oh, really? No, probably not, but I think it is a very good action movie. Like Dee said at the beginning, I think it's just, it's just all out fun. The song, to me, doesn't add anything to this film. They could have put anything there. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a good song, but I didn't even know this song was from this film until the last until a few months ago. And then even then, I didn't know it was the version that's in the film. So I just feel like for that reason, I have to say, I have to say, the film needs to stay. Get rid of the song. Put the song in the bin. I completely agree. I think you're obligated as a moviegoer to go for Con Air. <laughs> ben, I'm gonna go Leanne Rhymes. No, yeah, it's Con Air. I mean, this isn't even the best Leanne Rhymes song. Well, it's not even the Dillian Rhymes song in the film, then. <laughs> uh, no, no, but I just mean, I think of it as Leanne Rhymes, because I just think of it as Leanne Rhymes. I think it's Trisha Yearwood's best song. Uh, I mean, it might well be, because I have no idea what else you've done, Trisha. I'm sorry if you're listening, but... We should marry Garth Brooks. Look at Crooks. You don't want it. Um, she helps him out with his team of the weeks. Well, I look forward to talking about Leanne Rhymes when we do Coyote Ugly. That is the superior Leanne Rhymes song, isn't it? I think that's also a Jerry, a Jerry Brookhart film. <laughs> He's just got his finger in every pie. Did Daniel we... Warren write that by any chance? She, she probably did. She probably did, to be fair. We'll find out when we do that episode. It's mad to think, like, this song is so old and that Leanne Rhymes, you know, when If Bad the Song was written for her, she's only like 30, what, 37? She's achieved a lot more in her life than we have. <laughs> Does she have an unsuccessful movie music podcast? I don't think so. No, she has a successful one. <laughs> she, she could do one episode and it'd be too better, probably. Thank you for joining us today, talking about Conair. Let us know what you think, whether you think the song or the movie is better. Why not share this on the... Ooh, what subreddit should it be this week? The Diane Warren? I feel, I feel like we have we have a couple of poster childs for this podcast. One is John Barry, and now a second is Diane Warren. One more, looks like we're slightly more kind to than the other. <laughs> We've got two more faces to put on our Mount Rushmore. Yeah. So you can follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle is what, Alex? T-S-F-T-M-Pod. Nailed it. I'm getting better. <laughs> there was a slight pause in the middle. Yeah, I feel like you did it better last week. Did I? Okay. Or the week before. I'll, Whenever I asked you last. I'll keep practicing. Good. So let's do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye from Alex. I am not plausible as a tough guy because I have an effeminate voice. 
you know, just it's been so long since she took it. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ben would have chosen that, so that's what I went for. Because <laughs> I have an effeminate voice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from Ben. Bye. <laughs> okay, okay. You're not going to give anything there? Bye. Right, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Should have known it was just such a good line. I know, I saw it on the quotes, I was like, oh god, that's that's the one. <laughs> and I, I was genuinely thinking Ben's gonna go for the same. <laughs> Great. I've absolutely done him to be fair. I've done him to be fair though. You absolutely done me. <laughs>